sharing insight on leadership, professional growth, and personal effectiveness from world-renowned thought leaders, best-selling authors, and respected experts. This is Great Life, Great Career, brought to you by Franklin Covey. Now your host, Scott Miller. Welcome, everybody, back to our program each week, aired here in Salt Lake City on Saturday morning, sponsored by the Franklin Covey Company. So honored to again be a part of this great worldwide firm that is all focused on helping to build really phenomenal cultures inside organizations. Each week, this program focuses on a very relevant conversation about how we as leaders, leaders in our homes, leaders at work, leaders in our lives, can become more impactful and have great lives and great careers. I'm your host, Scott Miller. I serve as the Executive Vice President of Franklin Covey for Thought Leadership. What that means in a nutshell is I've been asked to author books, host this radio program, which many of you consume in podcast format, as well as the world's largest now and fastest growing leadership newsletter, If you're not subscribing to Franklin Covey's On Leadership newsletter, you should. It's complimentary. You can visit franklincovey.com and click on the On Leadership tab and sign up. It comes out every Tuesday morning at about 6 o'clock Eastern time. Again, it's complimentary. And each week I have the privilege of interviewing, not so dissimilar to how I do on this radio program, a best-selling author, thought leader, CEO, some celebrity who's earned the right who's earned that really the influence to share with us how they have discovered, uncovered some concept around high performance, building a high trust culture, building your skills, leveraging social media, you know, understanding the power of vulnerability or influence in your life. And I interview them both on a video interview as well as an audio podcast format. I also write a blog article each week. So make sure you subscribe to on leadership by visiting franklincovey.com. You also can sign up your family, your friends, your neighbor, and your stepfather or father-in-law if they need to learn about it as well, too. Today, I'm excited to talk about this topic around bias in our life. Today, our guest is Pamela Fuller, who happens to be Franklin Covey's resident expert on kind of all things unconscious bias. She is the lead author of a new book being published by Simon & Schuster in 2020, Name yet undetermined, she joins several Franklin Covey colleagues as they talk about just as everyday individuals, whether you are, you know, in the C-suite in organizations or you're not working at all, you're volunteering as a a stay-at-home dad. How do our biases in our life help and hurt us and perhaps help and hurt people around us? It's going to be a great engaging conversation as we talk through what are some of the most common biases in our life, things that Pamela and other experts call confirmation bias negativity bias, attribution bias. It's going to be a really, I think, tangible conversation to maybe challenge our own thinking around what are the roles that biases play in our life? How do we find ourselves in these biases? And how can we just become more aware and perhaps even be courageous champions of others who might be on the negative receiving end of biases that hold them back? And how can we as leaders become more powerful, more inclusive, more empathetic, really more in tuned to lifting others up and being more conscious of our own unconscious biases. This is Scott Miller, host of Great Life, Great Career. We'll be back in just a few minutes with our guest, Pamela Fuller from Franklin Covey. 
Did you know Franklin Covey offers complimentary webcasts of its most popular and impactful performance improvement solutions? These live 60-minute webcasts are hosted by a Franklin Covey subject matter expert and demonstrate the concepts, tools, and resources available to you or your organization through Franklin Covey's renowned performance improvement solutions. Visit franklincovey.com today to see a full list of their complimentary webcasts and register for these interactive and informative webcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Great Life, Great Career. Our conversation today is going to be with Franklin Covey's resident expert on bias, Pamela Fuller. She is a, a longtime associate in the firm, represents our solutions in broad parts of the U.S. government and other organizations around the world. She's become a bit of a phenom at Franklin Covey as she has brought a bigger consciousness around as leaders as a culture, how we can better address our own biases. She is going to be the lead author of a new book that's being published by Simon & Schuster, not too shabby. Uh, Name yet undetermined. She's deep into that manuscript with her co-authors here at Franklin Covey. Pamela Fuller, welcome to Great Life, Great Career. Thanks so much, Scott. I'm really thrilled to be here and really thrilled to talk about this. So Pamela, you and I are friends both kind of on and off the job. You are a wife, you are a mom, you are a senior leader, you are a salesperson, you are a client confidant, you're a coach, you're an author. How are you possibly balancing these like 10 plus roles in your life right now? So I read um, this great book called Getting to Yes, or Always Saying Yes. Shonda Rhimes wrote it and she's a producer. She does Grey's Anatomy and all of that. And she had this great statement that I think put me at ease in terms of the balanced conversation. She said, for everything I am doing, there's something I'm not doing. And I had to really get comfortable with that, right? There's no such thing as sort of having it all or doing it all. But everything, when I am doing something, I'm really focused on it for the time that I'm doing it. And then I sort of move on to the next thing. So it makes it, I think that mindset makes it really possible to juggle lots of roles and titles. And it's exciting. I have to remind myself that it's really exciting to be all these things and have my hand in lots of pots. Well, you have you and I had some things in common beyond our friendship. We have uh, multiple young boys that we're raising in our house, and your Facebook posts are just as outrageous as mine are. I love kind of living vicariously through the crazy that is your life as a parent as well. Pamela, let's talk about today's theme around recognizing our unconscious biases. You have authored what Franklin Covey calls a, like a mini book. We call it a monograph. It's about a you know thirty-five page kind of overview of this concept of unconscious bias, and it served as a bit of a genesis for the book that you're now co-writing, lead writing for Simon & Schuster. Let's kind of level set for the common listener today that, you know, hears about this term called unconscious bias, but, but kind of, you know, shrieks when they hear it or think they're guilty immediately. Will you kind of create a common language for us around what is unconscious bias and why is it not something to fear or think you're in trouble over? So we think of bias as inherently negative. We think, oh my God, this is about all the ways that I've been really terrible to other people or unintentionally hurt somebody. And honestly, bias is a natural part of the human condition. It is a fundamental part of how the brain works. And bias is an evolutionary process. And so it's developed over time and helps us navigate the world. If we didn't have bias, sort of the result of everything poured into us over our lifetime, we wouldn't be able to do anything. We wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. It'd be too hard, right? We'd have too many things to think about. So for our purposes, we define bias as simply a preference. 
And it is a preference in favor of or against. It can be in favor of or against a person, a place, a thing, an idea. Um, and these preferences, some of them really serve us and others do not. And I'd like to think of bias in terms of possibilities. The idea here is that we want to explore what biases we have and whether they inhibit or enhance our possibilities and the possibilities of the people around us. Pamela, you talk a lot in the book that you're writing that I've been privy to the manuscript. There's this concept that we all know about, you know, kind of called information overload, right? And when we're bombarded with information, we sometimes kind of go back to our biases to process that uh, because bias isn't just a political issue. It's broader than that, right? It's kind of ubiquitous in our lives. Absolutely. I mean, it touches everything. So as we've, it's interesting, the process of writing a book is sort of a process of information <laughs> overload. And my co-authors, um, Todd Davis, who's our chief people officer, and Mark Murphy, who's a longtime senior consultant here at Franklin Covey, and I have been sort of wading through all that information. But um, we have bias about every single thing that we encounter in the world. It can be, if you think about it in that way, sort of paralyzing. Um, but when we are overloaded with information, when we're overwhelmed with information, we're more susceptible to bias. Our brain sort of throws out things and gives undue weight to other things sometimes because we're trying to navigate our way through all of that information. So let's get practical. How does the common person begin to identify what their biases are? I'm guessing some are more helpful and some are more damaging than others. What's kind of the first step to realizing the fact that you do have biases and how are they working for or against you and the people in your life and the people that perhaps even you work with or report to you? Yeah, so I think that information over overload as we talk about it is one of the three bias traps we talk about in our work on bias. These are circumstances in which we find ourselves where we are more susceptible to bias. And they're information overload, uh, feelings over facts. That's when we have high emotion about a circumstance and how we feel about the situation sort of overruns the facts. Um, and the third is the need for speed, the reality that we're responsible for really quick decisions, high leverage decisions. And so one of the all of the strategies that we can use to sort of identify biases when they're at play and what their impacts might be are grounded in self-awareness. We need to be very aware, hyper aware of when we're in those circumstances. When are we overwhelmed? When do we have high emotion? Um, when are we being asked to move more quickly than we're really comfortable with? And being able to create some pause in those circumstances. So if I am overwhelmed with information, if I'm a leader in an organization, or if I'm a mother and my two kids are asking me for two different things and we have, you know, five minutes to get out the door, really creating some pause and being able to articulate, I just need a moment to really think about this before I proceed, before I make this decision, um, or before I engage with this person, before I walk into this meeting. Same with feelings. If we feel that sort of high emotion, can we create some pause, some separation between how we feel about the circumstance and what's actually Actually happening give ourselves a moment the need for speed how can we slow down um, and I think self-awareness generally is a, a sort of overused term right like we all need to be self-aware and you meet people and they say I'm very self-aware and you talk to them and you're like I'm not sure how self-aware you are <laughs> I think we we shouldn't underestimate the difficulty of the building self-awareness that it's a real intellectual activity it's a pursuit of um, sort of introspection, and there's some weight and heaviness to that. So we need to create some time to, to let it happen. Were you giving me some subtle feedback on my self-inflated sense of self-awareness? 
It's okay. Look, There's she's a silent. For that in all of us, right? <laughs> That's another radio program. I'd like to take a couple of minutes and talk about some of the biases that are within each of those categories. You mentioned kind of three overarching buckets: information overload, feelings over facts, and the need for speed. Let's dig into information overload. In your monograph, again, which is a mini book precursor to your bigger book that's being launched in 2020, you talk about some concepts called confirmation bias and anchoring bias. Walk us through those, Pamela. Yeah, so confirmation bias is essentially self-fulfilling prophecy. It is that I um, see one thing or I have sort of an initial uh, impression or a thought and everything as I sort of engage with that person, let's say it's about a person. So I meet somebody and I say, this person is so likable and they would be such a great member of our team. It'd just be fun to work with them uh, because they're so interesting and so likable. And my team, as, as this person joins my team, let's say I'm a leader and they're having sort of negative responses to this person. They're not integrating well, or they feel like they're not respecting their ideas and they're not uh, collaborating. But I keep gravitating back to this initial idea that this person is so interesting. And so I only find the ways in which they're interesting and bringing value. And I completely ignore everything my team is saying about how they're not collaborating well or not working well. And that's confirmation bias. It's when we see sort of only what we want to see or we set this intent and we uh, look for only things that confirm that initial belief or thought. Um, anchoring bias is, is similar in nature. It's that... Um, our opinion is anchored in just one bit of information. So, you know, situations are complex. As we think of how we deal with other people um, and we think of how you might describe a person, you could use, you know, 50 words to describe a person. But anchoring bias is the idea we might only use one word and we just hold on to that word. Um, and that can be positive or negative. I mean, I think of... Uh, when I was younger, for example, I really had this belief that I wasn't good at math. And so I sort of walked into circumstances and I was like, no, this is really hard, new classes. Or, and uh, after I had my first son, I got my MBA because having a newborn and getting your MBA is a, is a totally logical thing. Um, and we had all of this, we had all these math classes and I did really well in them. And it was so interesting, sort of the separation between when I was younger and had this belief that I wasn't good at math and then separating from that feeling of being in school, going back and doing well. So it's this idea that we're anchored in this first bit of information and we limit our possibilities sometimes or the possibilities of others by being anchored in that. Our guest today is Pamela Fuller, joining us on Great Life, Great Career, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Pamela is Franklin Covey's resident expert on unconscious bias and the lead author of a forthcoming book, book on that topic. We've been talking about three kind of big zones of bias, if you will, information overload, feelings over facts, and need for speed. Pamela, in the book that you're co-authoring, you begin to write about some concepts in feelings over facts, in-group bias, and negativity bias. Walk us through those. So in-group bias is just the idea that we give sort of positive attributes to people who seem similar to us, similar in any number of things. So I'm left-handed. It can be something as sort of simple as that. And it can be that we all work at Franklin Covey, um, or it could be bigger things like a sort of societal things, uh, race and gender, um, or maybe, you know, your status as a parent or your all stay-at-home moms. It's this idea that we find similarity and we ascribe positive intent to that similarity um, and we feel good about people who are in our same group where we can see ourselves reflected in them and might feel not as good about people who we can't connect to in any sort of natural or immediate way. 
I'm guessing um, that has upside and downside, right, of recognizing your in-group biases because as you were talking about people that write with their left hand, my wife is left-handed, our three sons are right-handed, and I'm quite delighted they're right-handed because I feel like left-handers have sloppier handwriting, they have to kind of be accommodated in school, you know, with certain notebooks and things. But then I've also read that as compared to the general population, a wildly disproportionate number of U.S. presidents are left-handed as opposed to right-handed. So I, I, right there, I'm kind of thinking, maybe my kids should be left-handed. <laughs> Yeah, I think this idea of in-group bias, one of the things about it that's sort of interesting is we have these initial things that we see about people and we ascribe the positive intent to the thing we relate to when right. the positive intent could be about the total opposite thing. Right. The other thing that's interesting is as you get to know people, that idea of in-group gets bigger and bigger. So in our approach to bias and really exploring this, we talk about the importance of cultivating meaningful connection. So there are these surface things that we would have in-group bias about almost immediately, but there's all these other things that you learn about people as you start to get to know them. And so this idea of in-group gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's one of the ways that we can hijack that bias is by really seeking out connection and learning more about people than what's on the surface. What I think I heard you say is truly anyone can become president. <laughs> right. Also, I'm campaigning. No. <laughs> no, but I think we've seen that play out. Let's talk a bit about in this concept around feelings over facts. Talk about the power of negativity bias. The negativity bias is this idea that we hold on more, uh, we can grab onto a negative experience more uh, frequently, more resonantly than we can grab onto positive experiences. So you could have a dozen really positive experiences with something and you have that one negative experience and that's what you hold on to. Um, and I think of this most often with my kids. You've mentioned that we have these boys with big personalities. I have a 10 year old and a three year old. Um, and so we think about like being grounded, which is something that happens not frequently, but sometimes in my house. And my 10 year old, when he gets grounded for things, will say, I'm always in trouble. I'm always grounded, right? It's this idea that I can hold on to the negative experience, even though if you look at a 30 day month, maybe he's grounded for two days. So we give undue weight to the negative experience. We remember that more frequently. You see it also when you talk to people about bias. If you ask people to share an example of bias, as I'm running around the country and the globe facilitating um, our learning solution, people can much more easily state a time when they've been on the receiving end of bias than when they've had bias or used bias in their decisions. And I'm guessing that that plays a role in our lives in the workplace also, right? I mean, I get lots of feedback. I host a podcast. I host this radio program, which is also a podcast. I've co-authored several books. And I'm going to guess that the compliments to criticism is probably like 95 to 5. Not because I'm talented, but because people are gracious. But I can guarantee you I hold on to the negative ones much more prominently than I do the, the droves of other compliments. It's, it is human nature, right? I said earlier, bias is a natural part of the human condition. When we facilitate, we get evaluations. You have 40 evaluations, and one of them has right. a constructive comment. You hold on to the one. Um, and it's really, it can be really detrimental over time because that impacts how you define your own possibilities and how you define your capabilities right. if you hold on to the negative. Before we go to break, let's talk about need for speed. Two types of biases you begin to identify, attribution bias and something called sunk cost bias. Speak to both of those. 
So attribution bias is this idea that we essentially give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. You know, we all have a story about what had happened when that's why we didn't do something on time or the way it was supposed to be, but we don't ascribe that same benefit of the doubt to, to other people. So we do a lot of work in the trust space, building trust in organizations um, to improve their culture and ultimately their performance and results. And in that work with trust, we have an assessment, a 360 assessment. And across the board, without fail, um, almost 90% of people will uh, rate themselves as highly trustworthy, and they will say that everyone they work with is only uh, 50 to 60% trustworthy, right? It's this idea that we will attribute good intent to ourselves. I'm very trustworthy, but everyone around me is less so trustworthy. Our guest today is Pamela Fuller, resident expert on unconscious bias at Franklin Covey and author of the new book being published in 2020 by Simon & Schuster. When we come back from break, I'd like to take it really practical in a professional setting. Let's talk about how do we begin to uncover our biases? How do we as leaders begin to kind of flip the conversation and create better engagement, more nimble teams? How to increase inclusivity? And as a leader, What can we do to be more conscious of when we're slipping into biases that aren't helpful for our teams? You're listening to Scott Miller, host of Great Life, Great Career. We'll be right back. This is Great Life, Great Career. Now back to the show. Hey, everybody. Fascinating conversation today with Franklin Covey's resident expert on unconscious bias and author of the new book coming out in 2020 by Simon & Schuster on the same theme. Pamela Fuller is our guest for the entire program today. As we went to break, we talked about a bunch of different biases that all of us face. You know, some negative and some not so negative, but things like confirmation bias, anchoring bias, in-group bias. And we talked about this last category of the need for speed occurs when we try to take shortcuts or act too quickly. They're time savers and they're often, you know, they, they, they leverage our biases for good or for bad. Pamela, we talked about this notion of attribution bias. I want to land this part of the program and talk a little bit about this concept called sunk cost bias. Talk about that, if you will. The sunk cost bias is this idea that you've invested too much time, money, resources, energy into something, and you can't turn back. You've hit a point of no return. And it's the idea that we're just so invested in this being the correct path that we can't really pause and explore whether it is, in fact, the best path. And you can think of that in terms of projects, right? Leaders and organizations need to complete projects. And often you've advocated for a certain position. You've advocated that this is the best path forward. And so your bias is then that it must be the best path forward. You must complete that. And we find that in organizations, if we have some courage to pause and really evaluate that sort of organizational bias for that way ahead, we can often achieve better results. Pamela, I guess that when people attend your speeches or keynotes, listen to these webcasts and podcasts, what you're doing now every week, People kind of come in with a little bit of a, a bit of a, um, a visceral kind of lizard brain, right? Like they're on defense because we, we hear about these biases. We think we've done something wrong or that we're treating someone poorly or unfairly prejudicing someone. But it's not always the case. Is it not true? 
it's it's not always the case. I think with anything, if you think about your role as a leader, you're always looking for mechanisms for continuous improvement. How can I get better at project management? How can I get better at being a coach? How can I get better at giving feedback or setting expectations or aligning my team to be successful, right? Setting them up to win. And I think bias is just another sort of um, arrow in your quiver as a leader. How can I get better at unbiasing my decisions? How can I ensure that this is in fact the best decision and it's not based on what is comfortable for me or intuitive for me? You know, we hear leaders say they make gut decisions and the reality is it's not a gut decision. It's sort of an amygdala decision. It's that reptilian right. part of your brain that has instinctual response to things. So how can I move from that uh, primitive and emotional part of my brain to the thinking part of my brain and ensure I'm making the best decisions in regards to my people, to innovation, to uh, projects and programs and initiatives, to customers and stakeholders, you know, all the things that leaders are responsible for. Our guest today is Franklin Covey's expert leader and a friend of mine, Pamela Fuller, author of the new forthcoming book from Simon & Schuster on this topic of unconscious bias. You know, Pamela, you and I spend the better parts of our, parts of our waking hours working with clients of all shapes and sizes, right? Small boutique, entrepreneurial companies, government organizations, school districts, universities, big and small companies. It seems like a common, more than just trend, but reality is in the Fortune 5000 at least, they all share a kind of a new role, which is this role you hear about diversity and inclusion and equity. Can you, can you kind of educate all of us on what is the purpose of that role? What is their kind of charter and mandate? And what role or connection does it play to the topic you're passionate about around unconscious, uh, unconscious bias and how we become more aware of them? So for a long time, organizations have sort of a legal compliance role. Um, equal employment opportunity, affirmative action, right, historically, and we're sort of accustomed to those terms. And I would say in the in the last decade, last 10 to 15 years, the recognition and the data has shown that the um, that compliance is not enough, that diversity and inclusion and engagement are really tied to results. That organizations who can demonstrate that they have a diverse population, that they have an inclusive work environment, and that all of those people feel incredibly engaged um, post better results. When we think of the Fortune 5000 and publicly traded companies, right? And results look differently, whether you're in the public or private sector, whether you're domestic or global, you know, whatever your mandate is as an organization, there is a direct correlation between diversity, inclusion, um, engagement, equity, belonging, and results. Um, and so I want to take a minute to just talk about those different terms because they're often said as one sentence and the titles of those people, those roles are changing. So Netflix has a vice president of an inclusion strategy. Um, Twitter's uh, version of that person has intersectionality in their title. You're hearing more and more chief diversity officer, but chief uh, belonging officer or uh employee experience officer, right? Lots of plays on these different words. As we think about them, diversity is really about representation. It's about having a seat at the table. Um, inclusion is really about having a voice at that table. So it's more than representation. It's are you uh, being asked for your feedback? Are you contributing to uh, how we solve problems and how we engage with our customers? Um, as we think about engagement, it sort of goes a step further. It's not just that you have a voice at the table, but you're really being asked your opinion. You're being actively brought into the conversation. 
um, organizations that are talking about equity are really talking about an opportunity gap. They're doing some analysis around their data and saying, you know, people are not being promoted at the same levels based on identity, or uh, there are customer segments that we're not really speaking to. Um, and finally, belonging, which is a growing term, is really the evolution of the term engagement. It's the reality that we're all whole people, um, and we can't leave a part of ourselves at home, that our whole, whole people come to work every day, and do they feel a sense of belonging, that they belong in this place? You spend more time at work than you do at home quite often. And so while you're at work, do you feel like you're wanted there um, and that you have a, a contribution to make? Pamela, how does bias show up every day in the workplace and what role should leaders play in helping to kind of self-assess their own contribution, positive or negative to it? So I really, um, in the conversations that I've been having with organizations in the public and private sector, we really uh, divide that conversation into three separate sort of buckets of influence. As a leader in an organization, the first is the employee life cycle. It is all of the decision points in a person's career that a leader makes about recruitment and retention and promotion and uh, coaching and management, right? Those, those decisions. And one of the best practices that I would recommend for leaders is to really ensure two things. First, that they're not making those decisions in a vacuum, that they are discussing with other members of management and leadership, with HR, the rationale behind those decisions around who gets promoted and who gets assigned to these other tasks. Another strategy that I'd recommend is adding some randomization to that process. So, for example, there's a data point that says 71% of leaders select protégés of the same race and gender. And I think lots of leaders can say they have a go-to person for big projects. The reality of that over time is that the go-to person has all this stretch opportunity, all this opportunity to spread their wings, and it leaves the rest of the team out. So adding some randomization so that how we rotate new projects and assignments so everyone on the team gets an opportunity um, can ensure that we're not falling into that confirmation bias to give everyone a chance to sort of shine and show us what they can do. Another bucket that we look at in terms of leadership impact is really collaboration and innovation. So there's another data point that says, you know, people who feel like they're on the receiving end of bias um, contribute three times fewer ideas, right? There's, that's unquantifiable in terms of the sorts of collaboration and innovation opportunities just get left on the cutting room floor because people don't feel like they belong um, in a circumstance. So all of those good ideas and contributions sort of get left on the cutting room floor. So as a leader, as we look at collaboration and innovation, what opportunities are you creating to create new teams, blended teams, different perspectives, right? A table of engineers will solve a problem in quite often a similar way because they've all been trained to think in a similar way. Um, do we bring a project manager into that conversation or someone from finance or someone who works with customers directly? So really diversifying how we're solving problems to reach collaboration and innovation. Um, and the third bucket we sort of look at with leaders is really stakeholders and customers. And I think one one of the biggest challenges in serving customers is ensuring that um, that we can put ourselves in our customers' shoes. And so lots of organizations are really um, doing a lot of training and development around building these skills of empathy and curiosity. How do we connect with customers, both interpersonally and intellectually? How do we ask the right questions and really listen to what they give us back so that we're not uh, sort of 
pushing our own agenda on our customers and stakeholders, but collaborating with them to achieve the best results. Pamela, in addition to speaking around the nation and co-authoring this book, you also are one of, if not the lead architect at Franklin Covey for a new offering that we launched about six months ago called Unconscious Bias, Understanding Bias to Unleash Potential. Could you take a moment and talk a bit about why are so many organizations, like more than we ever thought, interested in the topic, adopting our solution, and then kind of what happens when Franklin Covey comes on site, what does an engagement look like? If someone were to have some interest listening and say, gosh, this could help my firm, my organization, my division, what would they achieve? What's the outcome of engaging Franklin Covey in that one-day work session? Yes, we've worked with um, clients at varying levels. You know, we've done uh, training from the front line all the way up to the executive suite. And our goal is to really align to the organization's strategy. So as we've been working with different clients, our outcomes have been greater insight from all participants around what they can do differently. So each participant has left their work sessions with an action plan for how they can better address bias in their particular circumstance. So for leaders and managers that might be focused on this employee life cycle, for uh, customer-facing individuals, they leave with some innovative ideas on how they can better connect with their customers to achieve results. Um, And for individual contributors, they're really focused on their circle of influence and how they can grow a sense of collaboration on their team and really uh, go beyond the usual suspects in terms of how they solve problems in their organization. Pamela, as our time is ending here, a couple of final moments. Let's talk about, as leaders, how do we best identify our own biases? As we kind of, you've raised the consciousness today, right? we're a little bit more aware that we have these biases, they're not all bad, they're not all good. What are some tips you would give us, you know, as I walk back to the office today, after this radio program, what are some things I should be aware of when I find myself kind of slipping into the many biases that I have? As you mentioned, that we tend to elevate people that look and sound and, you know, uh, talk like us. I'm, I'm sure I'm guilty of the same. Give me some practical tips what I can do differently. Yeah, I have some ideas. So I think first, I mentioned earlier being able to slow down when we find ourselves in those bias trap circumstances, when we find ourselves overwhelmed or highly emotional or having to act quickly. And so I think this is a skill and a practice, really developing this sort of mindfulness practice to be able to pause between stimulus and response. The second thing I would say is um, something called a network audit. And this is part of our work session, part of conversations we're having with people as we engage on this subject. And a network audit can take varying levels of formality, but really looking at if you're a leader, you're in a cadre, um, or if you're an, an individual contributor, you know, who do you go to for coaching when you have a big project? Who do you go to to help you with it? Really evaluating that network. Just make a list of the top 10 people you go to for various things um, in the course of your day. Not who you formally are aligned to, right? It's not a list of your boss and your team. It's who you actually go to when you have choice. And then evaluating, are there similarity and differences across any number of identifiers in that group? Um, And if there's not a ton of difference, what opportunity is there for you to expand that network uh, to include some differing perspectives? And then the third strategy, I would say, is to really seek out other perspectives. And I think, um, you know, we we feel as if we're more connected than ever, but a lot of our connectedness is 
sort of tailored to us, right? If you think of your phone and all the information that comes at you. Um, so to the extent that we can seek out other perspectives, whether that's reading a book that you wouldn't normally pick up or listening to a podcast or an interview or watching a different news channel um, or just talking to a different person at work, someone in another division, but seeking those other perspectives, um, every time you feel surprised in a conversation, there was a bias there that you were unaware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the more that we can connect with other people and other perspectives, the sort of broader our in-group, if you will, gets, and the more we can uh, make decisions based on fact versus how we feel about a circumstance. Pamela, as you have been researching this topic for not just Franklin Covey's solution, but through your own interest and your own curiosity, and as the author of this new book, what has surprised you amongst all the dozens of books and TED Talks and conferences and experts you've counseled with? I mean, you're on a voracious information gathering experience and gathering campaign. It's like kind of this listening tour, so to speak. What surprised you about the topic that perhaps challenged your own biases or has made you a better listener or leader or friend or parent or collaborator? I think coming into this, So much of our biases are tied to our identity. And for most of us, we feel very proud of our identity. Um, We feel very proud of our different identifiers. You know, my role as a mother is something I'm very proud of. My role as a a wife, my role as a a thought leader at Franklin Covey. These are all things I'm really proud of. I'm also really proud of my background, right? I'm a first-generation American. I'm a New Yorker. These things I'm really tied to. And so in voraciously consuming stories of bias and research on bias, I have been blown away by how sort of pervasive and ubiquitous it is and how many different perspectives are different than my own. Um, the reality that I'm, I'm a thought leader on bias and I also am running into my biases every single day still, right? That it's not something you sort of learn and put away. And the second thing I've really been blown away by are all of the strategies Um, and all of the mechanisms we can use to counteract that, that we are not stuck in our biases, that identifying your bias is a first step. And there's a million things you can do to mitigate that and ensure that it doesn't uh, become problematic or inhibit the possibilities of yourself or those around you. So I think it's a very, um, I've been really surprised by a lot of what I've read. And I've also been really optimistic about the value of exploring this further and what it can do for how we relate to one another as human beings. Pamela Fuller, great conversation. I think your your relatability and your authenticity on the conversation is disarming and it's inspiring as well because, you know, it's no secret I'm white and I'm male and I'm 50 and I'm not just part of the problem, but I'm part of the solution out there. And I really intend to be more cognizant of my biases and the, the upside and downside that they have, not just in the workplace, but with my kids, my wife, right? My boys as well, too. Look forward to following you on Facebook and seeing the travails of your boys. Pamela Fuller, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Scott. I think this is really important, and I look forward to having uh, more conversation about it. I think the same as well. You've been listening to Scott Miller on Great Life, Great Career. We'll be right back and announce next week's guest. Build the skills of your organization's global talent pool with a subscription to Franklin Covey's All Access Pass. Through All Access Pass, nine of Franklin Covey's foundational solutions have been translated into 16 languages. Now you'll reach your international teams, streamlining your organization's overall performance improvement initiatives. Visit franklincovey.com to learn more about the All Access Pass and begin engaging your employees, empowering your teams, building your leaders, and most importantly, achieving your results on a global level. Hey everybody, what a valuable conversation we had today with Pamela Fuller, Franklin Covey's thought leader 
around the topic of unconscious bias. She also serves as the primary architect, the lead architect of our work session solution by the same name. If today's conversation piqued your interest on how to build on the biases that are in your organization, both positively and minimize some of them that are negative, by all means, visit franklincovey.com and check out our solution around unconscious bias. It's a one-day work session. can be delivered in a little bit shorter format, but I think you'd find that to be a valuable investment in your culture and in your employees as you become to build, as you look to build a more nimble, high-growth organization. Heck, while you're on our website, you know what? Scoot around a bit. There are a dozen webcasts, all, all complimentary, on topics like project management, leadership, leveraging relationships, executing against your top priorities, building strong leadership capabilities, how to build a competitive and winning culture, how to build a culture of high productivity. I mean, literally, dozen-plus webcast, podcast, blog post, articles. It really is one of the best sites in the entire industry around how to build a winning culture in your organization. I also mentioned in previous radio programs that I have been the... I've also mentioned in previous... I've also mentioned in previous radio programs that I'm the author of the new number one bestseller on Amazon, Management Mess to Leadership Success. The print copy of that book has now been out for just over nine weeks. It sold 18,000 copies, thanks to you all. Claimed the number one new release spot on Amazon for six weeks, which is the maximum number of weeks they'll allow you. And I've also mentioned to you, I've been taping the audio book. The audio book is finished. It's available in September. And last week, would you believe that you all made the audio edition also a number one new release on Amazon. So print, digital, and audio, management mess to leadership success, claim the number one spot on Amazon that sells now more than 50% of all books in every format. I'm grateful to all of you that picked up a copy. I'm available for keynote speeches, webcast in your company. Visit mess2success.com to learn more about that. If you've not bought the book yet, the book basically is an overview of all of my messes in life, generally focused around management and leadership. You'd think as an expert on leadership, I'd have a few success stories to share, and I do, but the book is really written just to be a bit more vulnerable, a bit more relatable. To, you know, leadership is tough. It's not for everyone, right? We all have our biases. We say things that are wrong. We do things that we shouldn't. Hopefully we learn from them and move on and move from mess to success. But the book is an uproariously funny look at, you know, sort of the day in the life of a leader. And I issue 30 challenges that every leader faces that are grounded in and based in Franklin Covey's content, our solutions that are readily available in what is called our All Access Pass. We have several thousand organizations that are subscribers to Franklin Covey's All Access Pass, what in essence is a really well-articulated, curated library that can help you solve your biggest leadership challenges. You can also visit franklincovey.com to learn more about that book and about Franklin Covey's All Access Pass. Our guest next week will be Jennifer Colosimo, Franklin Covey's Senior Vice President and the co-author of the book Great Work, Great Career, co-authored with the famed Dr. Stephen R. Covey. We had Jennifer Colosimo as a guest several months ago where she and I had a far-ranging conversation around how the seven habits of highly effective people, which is, of course, Dr. Covey's book that sold 30 million copies over the last 30 years, has so greatly influenced the way organizations and leaders lead their cultures. 
Jennifer is going to join us this week and talk about Franklin Covey's new leadership point of view and offering called the four essential roles of leadership. Now, I imagine there's more than four, but four in particular can build anybody's leadership influence. Join us next week as Jen Colosimo, Franklin Covey's Senior Vice President, joins us to discuss the four essential roles of leadership. You've been listening to Great Life, Great Career with Scott Miller. We'll see you next week.